Welcome to Alive and Kicking. It's this week in the 90s. Uh, and this week's show, we are going semi-final crazy. Yeah, was, instead of doing one by one, we break down a lot of the semi-finals because it's that t- sort of time in that decade that we're going to talk about. We also have a little natter on uh, one of the worst injuries of the decade and Fergie time. Yep, get ready for Steve Bruce, Nigel Worthen and not moving and all that. And more to come on this week in the 90s. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Uh, I've got two very weary guests with me today. Guests, they're not guests, they're regulars. Uh, one is very hungover, one like me is very tired after WrestleMania. Um, first, let's go to the hungover one first. Um, he's had a bit of a weekend um, out in Liverpool. Um, he is a writer and journalist for The Sportsman, along with many others. Matthew Christ, how is it hanging? Well, I'm going to get a reputation. Uh, you know, it's just, it a regular occurrence, but I do have an excuse. It was Derby Day in Liverpool, and uh, as anyone knows, you, you, you go out on the Friday and you, you stop drinking on the Sunday. So, uh, you know, I can't even use WrestleMania as an excuse like uh, like our friend. It was, Derby, it was Derby Day, but it wasn't exactly McManaman and Grobler, was it, that game? That was a bit no, it was, of a tired uh, affair. It was pretty awful, and I, I don't think the uh, alcohol was anything to do with the fact. I don't really remember anything happening in the game because I think nothing did happen in the game. No, nothing. Nothing did happen in the game. Not like the most. Mate, you remembered the United game, not mate. I, I did, and the funny thing was that the pub went absolutely crazy when United scored. And I, was, I was really surprised at that. It was obviously a load of manx in there that were in for the day drinking, but I really didn't expect that at all. I thought oh, this is going to be painful because I fully expected United to get beaten. So I thought oh, I'm going to have to just just face up to it but when the third goal when they went everyone was up it was going mad so uh, that was my excuse I probably uh, the hangover cranked up a little bit after that result I think that's fair and that other voice you can hear is a man who stayed up like me to the stupid hours of the morning watching Wrestlemania um, he is a well he's a social media mogul for the TV world but he's a Borough fan as well Joel Lino, Joel Young how you doing? I'm very well. How are you? It's been, it's been quite a nutty weekend because we had the final of The Voice on Saturday night and then we had WrestleMania last night. So today I've just kind of slept all day, all day, all day. Half past five in the morning is no time for a 41-year-old man like me to be staying <laughs> up until watching wrestling. I'll tell you that for nothing. Seven hours is too long for a show. I think I aged about four years while it was going on. But we'll moan about it and we'll probably do it again next year as well. Oh, good, yeah. yeah I might that, go. Need to go. I know. New York's not that far, is it? Yeah. Mm, yeah, we'll get on that, Joe. We'll sort that out. Um, all right, cool. I digress, though. Let's talk about 90s football. Um we're going to talk a lot about semi-finals today, so we'll get to that in a second, because um, there's a lot just all lumped in. So instead of doing one by one, we just thought we'd just talk uh, about them as a whole and just pick out some memorable games. Um, friend of the show, Sid Lambert, has been doing some tweeting about these games, so I'm sure, if because you, you all follow him like we do, you'll be knowing what we'll be talking about. I did some this morning as well on our own feed at AK90s, which you can follow. Do it. Click it now. Um, but that, before we do, um, yesterday, uh, I know it's slightly not in this week, we were a day late, but I wanted to mention this because we didn't really get to it on last week's show. Um, it was an anniversary of an unfortunate moment in the 1990s, but one that does really stick out in the memories. Um, I think, gents, that over the years since this happened, it's what, what we're talking about is David Booth's injury at Old Trafford. And I must admit, disclaimer, there's a lot of Man United today um, in different varying guises, but there seems to be a lot of Man United this week, but we'll get to that. 
Um, this game was also at Old Trafford, and I was going to say it's we've seen injuries in more recent times. I can you know Dribble Cisse springs to mind, Alan Smith, Luke Shaw. We've kind of got used to it, but this was kind of the first really gruesome one I remember, where the TV kind of showed it pretty much in all its glory. We we remember what happened. Uh, it was a game at Old Trafford on the eighth of April, nineteen ninety six. Uh, a corner came in from the uh, the Coventry corner came in into the main out box. There was a, there was kind of a sort of a melee and and. David Boost went into the tackle with Dennis Elvin and Brian McClare. Basically fell on his leg that he went to an L-shaped double compound fracture of the tibia and fibia in his right leg. Uh, Peach Marvel couldn't handle it. Uh, Matthew, let's go to you first. There's going to be a lot of May and I tonight, so it's good that you're here as usual. Um, what, do you remember this? Were you there? What do you remember um, well, this? Funnily enough, I was at Anfield this day. Oh. Um, I'm quite probably quite glad I was, really, because... Uh, from all the accounts from people that were there just said it was horrendous and then after this incident happened apparently nothing really happened in the game at all players were a bit scared to get into tackles and uh, everyone was just really shaken up by it um, so yeah I can't remember why I went to Ampfield I think some mates went to Liverpool West Ham for some reason and I just said yeah I'll go just for the just for the crack really you know? and uh, so yeah but I remember hearing about it because we were obviously coming out of Anfield and the United game was still going on and it was I think it was another just a 15 minutes after the Liverpool game had finished. So you kind of knew that something was up. Again, not really, no real means of, of communication back then. So uh, it was all people listening to radios and then this kind of thing. And people said, oh, there was a bad injury. And uh, and obviously there really was a bad injury to more. You know, we just couldn't imagine how bad it was before you actually saw it. But then, of course, the next day on the on the front pages and the back pages of the paper, you saw those horrific pictures. And I you say, I think this almost seemed like it was the... the sort of watershed moment yeah. when it came to these terrible injuries but I think it must have more been because we just didn't have the photography or the the, the cameras that all the games that you had with the, with the dawning of the Premier League I remember Jim Beglin breaking his leg in a Merseyside derby in about 86 87 and everyone said it was similar or horrendous and they just they just basically threw him on a stretcher and put him on a blanket over him and carried him off so you just wouldn't have seen it really and I'm sure it happened down the years but with this era you had all these you know, 12, 15 TV cameras at the game, plus all your, your still cameras. So it was just, and that famous image that was taken from behind the goal was just horrific, isn't it? And uh, like you say, Schmeichel was shaking. He was physically sick on the pitch. It took them about 10 minutes to wash the mm. blood off the, 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 the goal mouth. So uh, like I say, it was one game I wasn't at, which was a rare occasion at the time, but I'm glad I wasn't, to be honest, because I think it would have been pretty disturbing by all accounts from people that were there yeah it's and the blood thing isn't it the blood I don't remember even in the later ones that I mentioned there you, I don't remember blood being I'm sure there must no. have been but well I suppose it goes without saying doesn't it I mean, yeah. if, a, if a bone pops out of your leg there's going to be blood but it's just you just don't think of it you just think oh broken leg but yeah that I think that's what that's what did for so many people but a sad story isn't it because obviously as we all know he didn't make a recovery. He had to have God knows how many operations. Twenty he had an infection. Twenty yeah. operations he had. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah I, you know, obviously didn't work out for him. I think he ended up working for the club at a later date. Then he date. got MRSA as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it. I mean, it's mm. not nice to happen to anyone. He just felt terrible for him because he wasn't, you know, he, got, he wasn't really an established. I don't know how long he'd been around playing for Coventry for, but it, it wasn't a household name really before this happened, and then he, he sort of became one. Well, he, was back quite, of, uh, he came into football quite late, actually, because um, we actually we spoke to him. Joe, I don't know if you remember, really, really early on in, in the yeah. podcast history. I'm going to play a little uh, clip from it in a moment, actually. Uh, we spoke to David. Um, I think he was like 25 before he got his big break into sort of first team, as in 
uh, top flight football with Coventry, but he, and he was non-league before that. But uh, I mean, we probably spoke to you at the time, Joel. But this was way, way back on sort of few episodes. What do you remember about it? Is it? A, a, do you see it as a squeamish thing? Is, did it affect you like that, or were you, oh, you... I'm I'm terrible for it. it. It absolutely. I broke my arm pretty badly like that when I was a kid, and it was going all at right angles to itself. So I absolutely know that pain and. You know, even now, I've got horrible friends who, like, whenever there's a terrible injury, they sort of race to send me a picture of it because they know I'll get a bit vomity. <laughs> I just, oh, I mean, God bless him. Who who can ever, ever, ever want or, or get past anything like that? It was just, uh, oh, God. It's Even now, it sends shivers up my spine seeing it. I've just looked at a picture of yeah. it there and I'm like, oh, why do I need to look at that? I'm, I mean, God bless him. Um, these things happen in a contact sport, unfortunately, and I know that sounds like quite a glib thing to say, but, um, you know, obviously accidental, no pros would do that to each other. And just, but yeah, it's it's that, it's it's the first proper horrible injury of that Premier League era, isn't it? And yeah, and everybody saw it. You, you wouldn't see it now. The cameras would sort of pan away, but I, I suppose we we weren't in an era there when, you know, we that would have happened. You know, everybody was zooming in and getting pictures, and they were all over the place. Whereas now, you know, it would be I, exercise caution. I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's true. You know, I mean, if it was on live TV, I think they would. And it wasn't, was it? It was a three o'clock Saturday yeah, game, it was a normal Saturday game. Yeah. So, um, so, but yeah, they don't tend to show it live. But in terms of still shots in the papers, they still like to go for the old oh, gruesome mm, shot with oh. the red circle. You know, the, the highlighted circle around the area. I've seen that. You know, quite a few times more recently. So I think that with the, when it comes to tabloids they seem to have a bit of a different you know, rule, rule of their own really whereas television are quick to uh, quick to pan mm. away with something like that I think, they so as well. I think they went for a, the CSA one I mentioned I remember that I think that may even been a live game I remember seeing that a lot a lot of different, oh, different angles where he's kind of he's look, almost looks like his shins hanging but yeah horrible yeah. horrible injury um Let's hear from David Boucher. This is a clip from an interview that we did way back. So I think it's episode, first sort of 10 episodes we did. Joe was on it as well. Um, just a little clip of, you know, he's quite positive in his uh, in his latest life, which is great to hear, but how he felt about the time. He's obviously talked about this a million times before. Um, here's us talking to, to David Boost um, a couple of years ago about this injury. The injury at Old Trafford. I mean, you've probably asked this question a million times, but even now, what, what do you remember about it? Uh, everything it's hard not to with YouTube and, mm. and stuff like that pictures it, it took me quite a while to uh, even look at anything while I was in recovery for the first sort of six months I didn't want to I didn't know I wasn't going to play then so I didn't want to see um, you know the pictures to remind me and stuff like that I just wanted to concentrate on trying to get back um, then when I found out sort of six months later I couldn't play again I wanted to have a look and find out why I couldn't play again you know and uh, you know and that's when it sort of dawned on me that, you know, just the sheer timing of the of the tackle and, you know, sort of being in the, I was obviously in the, I was obviously in the right place because we, we had a corner, so uh, I was in, in the wrong place with the, and timing with the, with the two challenges that came in either side, so it, it, it was just one of them things, it was um, pretty horrific, but, you know, here I am sort of, uh, you know, 19 years later and, you know, it's, uh, I was thinking positively about everything and it's better to be remembered for something than nothing, so, uh, it does get dragged up every time someone breaks a leg, but it also gives them, um, with the, the job that I'm doing now with Skyboos in the community, it gives a bit of, you know, awareness to that, and, uh, and which is what we're all, we're all about, you know, doing things in the community now. Do you ever, if there is another player with a terrible injury like yours, do you ever sort of offer any advice, or do have any players come to you and ask how you've coped with it? I, 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 I do, but 
what what happens is I because of the extreme circumstances surrounding mine with you know the infection I got uh, in hospital of MRSA and stuff like that and the fact that I gave up I had to give up football so it's not something I want to then you know when people compare it to mine the first thing I always do and there's been a few over the, over the years you know I'll just drop them a, a quick quick line saying look you know people are comparing it to mine obviously I had to give up there was you know umpteen complications with mine you know I'm sure if, if you haven't got those complications you'll be back playing you know within within no time so I always sort of tried to get that across when people tried to compare them you know there was um, uh, Alan Smith uh, you know Leeds when he sort of dislocated his ankle and stuff like that there was um, you know more recently Luke Shaw and I'm, I'm sure if people see them referring them to my injury then they think oh god I've, you know I'm not playing again and he, so that's the first thing I try and do is reassure them that I had so many complications with mine the actual break was you know the, the least of my worries I was going to ask you that actually if it happened today bearing in mind that, that how medicine has advanced um, since and, and those guys have come back is it would it have been different or was it down to the complications that you had to it, it was just yeah I, I, I contracted MRSA and, um, and that's sort of an anti-healing disease um, uh, infection and it was the tendons in my right leg which um, got infected so much they had to be cut away so basically that meant I couldn't pull my foot up I was left with a drop foot so the actual break as I say at the moment I play over 35 football I've been playing for you know sort of 13 years now um, but to compete professionally and at that time you know I didn't, I didn't kick a ball you know for a good five six years afterwards you know so it was um, you know it was just that, that MISA which I caught it, it resulted in attendance so it was nothing to do with the actual break the actual break you know was healed and healed well and as I say it stands in good stead at the moment for when I'm you know exercising and you know playing football Hi this is Elton Wellsby and you're listening to Alive and Kicking the outstanding 90s football podcast There we go from David. I'm going to segue into the semi-finals because um, we talked about this last week, actually. Uh, I think Matthew brought it up the 8th of April. Again, we could have talked about it last week, but there was so much to talk about last week, couldn't quite squeeze in. Um, but the 8th of April 1990 kind of kicks us off this kind of section talking about semi-finals, FA Cup semi-finals, because um, we can... In this week, there's been 90, 94, 95, 97 and 99. So there's a lot of semi-finals. Um, but Matthew, you mentioned it last week and I, I said, Sid Lambert always says it on this show. The, probably the greatest weekend of football uh, of the 90s. Those FA Cup semi-finals, we kind of touched on it last week. But just to quickly go over it again, the two games, the Crystal Palace-Liverpool game and the Man United-Oldham games, they were two fabulous, fabulous. The first big Super Sunday, as you called it last week, wasn't it, Matthew? Yeah, I think it was probably the greatest day of sport, uh, well, football of its time. I mean, nowadays you wouldn't, people wouldn't bat an eyelid at having two games on back to back on a Sunday. You have what three, four sometimes. Yeah. But then it was, it was such a big deal, and it was on terrestrial TV. It was on BBC, and it was one game after the next. It wasn't one game on the Saturday, one game on the Sunday. You had Liverpool Palace. I couldn't tell you when it kicked off. Probably one thirty, something like that. Um, and a uh, 12 fantastic o'clock. 12 o'clock it was, was it? Yeah. Oh, good shout good shout I've got um, it in front of me I've also got oh. a memory I've literally got it in front of me <laughs> but, and what a game it was too because obviously that season Liverpool had hammered Palace 9-0 up at Anfield in October um, and nobody gave them a prayer really I mean Liverpool were just just we didn't know at the time they were just coming to the end of that dominant era I mean they still had a fantastic team 
Barnes and Rush and McMahon and Beardsley. So nobody nobody gave them a hope. I know going into it as a United fan, I mean, we were, we weren't really optimistic about getting to the final anyway. But I remember thinking, well, if we do get through, we're going to play Liverpool and we're probably going to get beaten. So it was. So you can imagine my delight when Palace knocked Liverpool out. But I mean, what a game it was as well because Liverpool took the lead reasonably early, one nil up, and everyone just thought, oh, here we go. And then one of the greatest sort of ding dong semi finals ever went to penalty. Oh, went to extra time. Alan Pardew stepped out, flew in with a header, didn't he? And it sort of scored the late goal. The Palace players ran into the crowd, and then about half an hour later, they cut to um, main road for United's Oldham, and everyone thought, well, this would probably be one nil or something. And then you had another absolute thriller. 3-3 three, three extra time and uh, ultimately went, went to a replay but I, I've watched both these games quite quite regularly I said before if ever I come home sometimes of an evening and I've you know, maybe had a few drinks and you think oh, I'll just put something on YouTube I always tend to put this these games on because they just you just they've got everything yeah, haven't they? they've got the games. drama they've got the great goals they've got you know someone takes the lead and someone comes back and I mean the Oldham United game Oldham took the lead United came back took the lead themselves and Oldham came back and it just and some great commentary as well, especially the second game with Barry Davis. There's some real. It's just, I suppose, if you didn't remember, if you don't remember it, and you weren't around, you'd probably think, "What was all the fuss about?" But for people that were, I just think it was something so special to to witness that. And I suppose that that started the the trend of uh, semi-finals being on. I mean, I, I know obviously the subsequent seasons they started to do them one day and then the next, but. I think I don't think you can beat doing them on the on the same day. Yeah, this uh, it's actually my first footballing memory. This is this is the first real real football weekend I remember um, vividly as a kid. Um, and we were we were having a family meal. Couldn't tell you for what reason, and I don't even know where it was. But I can see myself in the bar watching it with my cousins. Um, I think my cousin walked into a window, which was quite amusing during the half time as well, which always makes me laugh. Um, but this this was kind of one of my footballing awakenings. This game, and then the final, because my my nan at the time lived in Croydon, so Crystal Palace was it was everywhere, and it was like banners and stuff and it was really my, and then into the 1990 World Cup so it's kind of it really it stands out for me for, for that reason Joel uh, as this weekend it's not something we've ever discussed with you Sid has obviously said about it before and Matthew do you remember this weekend vividly which which year are we talking about now sorry 1990 the first uh, the, uh, the one that Matthew oh, was just referring to oh lad you've said, you've said everything yeah. I can't possibly add to anything you've said there yeah, let's move on because we have talked about it before as well and there's a couple here that Joel can definitely talk about. We'll get to that one in a second. Um, we're going on to 1994 now. Uh, these these were both on the same day, I believe. No, a day after actually. Um, 9th of April and 10th of April. Uh, firstly, with Chelsea Luton, which is uh, one that doesn't get talked about uh, an awful lot. I mean, it was a quite one-sided affair. Chelsea won 2-0 uh, with two goals from uh, Gavin Pe- Peacock. Do you remember that one, Joel? Again, not... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more concerned with Gavin Peacock's Twitter at the minute. Have you ever been and visited this? Well, he, he does follow us on Twitter and I was trying to get him on the show, but I'm a little bit sort of concerned of what we might end up talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think it, I don't think it would stay particularly football-based. Yeah. Today's today's posted something that Queen Victoria said about women and you know it's just bizarre. If you want to go and have a look at Gavin Peacock's Twitter, please do. But uh, he's he's uh, it's, it's safe to say he's moved away from the typical mindset of the 1990s. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the in his later life. Yeah, for anyone who's not aware, he's he's a reverend or a priest in Canada now, I believe, is what he, he is does. A pastor, he, a pastor, a pastor in. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was always he, he always uh, had his. Christian faith, of course, but now it just seems to have gone very extreme. But you know, fair play, it went. 
but no, I do. Yeah, they played both of these games at Wembley, and I think yeah. the the uh, the Chelsea Luton. It was just pretty straightforward. It's when Luton were in Division One with us because they were uh, the turn it around to us again. But Luton played, I think, at the last game at Ayrshire Park. Um, so they were they were kicking about with with us that season, and then they kind of went into their. I don't think you'd say spiral straight away after that, but it certainly wasn't plain sailing for Luton Town, was it? Um, until fairly recently. Uh, and the other game, the uh, the Man United in Oldham, yeah? Yeah, that was the 10th of April the next yeah. day, yeah. Yeah, but the thing that stands out for me about that is in the replay, Brian Robson's 99th and final goal for Manchester United. Oh, good fact. I, I haven't got that one written down. Oh, nice. Yeah, you obviously you obviously didn't remember that off the top of your head, sure. <laughs> I did. Well, when I went, what I did is when I went and looked at it, and I, I went, well, that must be one of his last goals for United because he came to us that summer. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, I thought, oh, that must be it, and it turned out it was. So yeah, I thought, well, I think I did my research, lads. I went and checked it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what. That's why we employ you, Joe. You know, <laughs> that's why you're here. Um, yeah, that Chelsea. I mean, the Luton Cup run is remember for Scott Oakes, and it is that run. And we spoke to um, a Luton fan when we did an FA Cup episode. Going to the archives, if they say um, Ian Cruz, who was once a Talksport, he's a Luton fan. He told us all about that. Uh, Matthew, easy to switch to you for the. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of Man United today, but I remember this one really strongly because at the time I was, you know, I was a sheep with the crowd, not liking Man United. And I wanted Oldham to win. Um, Neil Poynton's goal in extra time, and we all thought Oldham were going to do the upset. And then Mark Hughes. I mean, it's a typical Mark Hughes volley. One of those goals. Uh, yeah, what are your memories of this one? Well, it's sort of worth putting it into a bit of context because United have been stormed the league for most of the season and I think couldn't tell you how I'm sure sort of going into the new year they must have been a good nine ten points clear of Blackburn something like that and then it, when I said this before in previous weeks you sort of got to that springtime period and it all started to go a little bit pear-shaped and you had uh, you had a few sendings off you had a few drop points I remember United uh, dropping points to West Ham and I think I think Blackburn closed the gap down and then of course the, this happened and uh, United were losing going into you know the dying minutes and you could just sense there was an air of you know if United lose this game because they, they were going on for the double and then suddenly they looked like they were going to lose both both trophies so there was a real air of uh, desperation it, it's weird how it was at, at Wembley because again do you remember they, they sort of experimented with with semi-finals at Wembley, one minute they had them there, then yeah. they didn't, and they had, and this these two games. I think it was only because of Chelsea, Luton. They probably thought, oh well, we've got we've got to put a player at Wembley, and then they almost felt like they had to offer this to uh, to, uh, to United Nolan fans. I was in the uh, United end that day, and it was by far from full, which is hard to believe. But I mean, obviously, United probably had about fifty thousand tickets, so I suppose it's fair enough. And the older men was was pretty sparse as well, so. We had loads of room around us, and I remember stood talking to my mate saying, "Should we just go?" I've never left games early before, and I just said, I, "I don't think I can take this. Should we just leave?" And he was like, "No, you can't leave. You can't leave. You never know. You never know." And sure enough, Hughes scored, and I don't think I've ever gone as crazy as I did when that goal went in. <laughs> Purely, but it just because it, it was just like a, a weight being lifted off everyone's shoulder. You knew, obviously, that it was in the dying, the last minute of extra time. You thought, "Well, Oldham have had their chance." They're not going to win in the replay, and it just spurred United on. And then, obviously, United went on to uh, to complete the double. But at that time, in that extra time period, you could almost see both uh, the FA Cup and the League Championship slipping away. It was just that it, it was it was like a couple of nuts on the wheels had got loose. They hadn't quite fallen off, but you could see. If, I think if United had lost that semi final, which they Oldham were huge underdogs, weren't they? I mean, they were bottom of the league, I think. Um, so I think it could have things could have been very different and 
the likes of yourself and everyone else that hated United at the time. <laughs> I mean, that, that was very much in the back of everyone's mind in games like that because you know when you knew when they scored those late goals, how much the whole country was just literally going, "Oh no!" And it was it just made it even sweeter, I have to say. But but um, it was it was a great it was a great moment, and I still watch that goal now, and I get sort of tingles because it's just. Because it's just a, it's just typical Hughes and yeah, typical it's United. And, it's a great volley. It's and, a great, yeah, um, it's a great goal. It really is, and that's what made it. I think for people like I say, like me. I mean, I was going with the crowd. I'd never really hated Man United with them, but yeah, it, it was always a good goal. Uh, they won the replay four one as well, like you said. Erwin Kachelski's Robson and Giggs, which sounds like "Come on, you Reds." That song, all those names being written down, <laughs> and, and yes, yeah, so it was Man United Chelsea in the final, which I think we'll get to at some point uh, in on this week in the nineties. Uh, moving on to the following year, and as you said, Matthew, we went to. From when two finals at Wembley to back to what we should be forever, I'll still get my moan about bloody Wembley finals. Um, but the 9th of April, two games in one day, um, one at Ellen Road, one at Villa Park. Um, Joel, coming to you first, um, Tottenham won Everton four, and this is kind of remembered for Mr. Daniel Amakachi, who we haven't spoken to too much on here, but yeah, he's a name from the 90s, isn't he? Has he been on? He yeah. has been on. He's a clip coming, yeah. don't worry, there's double the whammy, there's another clip coming in a minute, but yeah, what do you remember about this game? Uh, that, that Spurs' name, the name of Tottenham Hotspur, was apparently going to be on the cup this yeah. year. Was this the year that they were kicked out of the cup and then were allowed back in? And is this that year? Yeah, and, that's and the they, year, were, yeah. They, they were absolutely going to win the FA Cup, and wasn't it going to be a dream final? Wasn't uh, uh, Manchester United versus Tottenham Hotspur going to be a total footballing dream? And then what happened? Uh, Everton just bundled them over. Uh, Graham Stewart, two from the catchy, and who am I missing? Matt Jackson. That's the one, yeah, one of the young bucks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Ever- um, Everton were, well, you say Spurs were afraid, but they hadn't won in seven games, Everton. They were one point against above the relegation places and they were facing the, you know, the famous Klinsman, Anderson, Barnby, Sheringham. So they really were underdogs. But, I mean, Daniel Amakachi, he had a rough ride going into that, but um, he, he came up chance here, didn't he? Was he the first black player ever Everton no, I'm, I'm just imagining that he says that in an interview so I, I haven't double checked I, I, I meant to I ran out of time today but he the, and I can't think of one before him so no I think there was a fella called Cliff Marshall I think played for Everton before him whether he played in the first team I'm not sure but uh, you'll have to look that one up but I'm just looking it up now Cliff Marshall, but yeah, he's certainly the first uh, African to win the FA Cup. I know Cliff March Marshall. Yeah, you're right. Began his career at Everton, but found first team opportunities limited. I only know that because I see him quite often in the uh, local boozer. Oh, he's a mate. Um, isn't he? Well, he's a, a drinking <laughs> everyone doing it, Matthew. Have you drove his car? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Funnily enough, no. Did he play in the nineties, uh, Joel? Did he actually play in the nineties uh, for anyone? Oh, no, Cliff. No, no, no. no, was, no, no. I was going to see if Matthew could hit him up, get, get him on the podcast, but no. No, he, he was more, what, I mean, like 70s, 80s, well, 70s. Ah, keep it 90s, keep it 90s. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so that ended, yeah, that ended Tottenham's uh, FA Cup run. Everton went off to the final, which we know happens again. We'll talk about that when we hit the 20th of May, but we're still in April here. The other game that, uh, that day, and to be honest, before I watched it earlier today, I could not remember this game. I don't know why. Of all the semi-finals, I, I generally got a good memory of the FA Cup because it still meant something in this era. But I just couldn't. I couldn't remember this game and the replay. But I'm sure. Our, uh, I'm sure Matthew does because it was Man United Crystal Palace, um, a two-two draw first of all at Villa Park, um, which Owen and Palace the scored for Palace to equalise late on for, for Man United. Um, another lucky escape, actually. Really, wasn't it in this one? Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. I remember it well because there was a horrible atmosphere 
going into this game because obviously uh, there was bad blood between yep. United and Palace uh, um, for what happened at um, at Sellers Park. And sad, uh, what I don't know if you you remember, but there was a fight in a pub car park in Walsall just outside Birmingham, and a Palace fan was killed. And uh, we yeah, we actually do, got yeah. we we got to the ground, and again before days of phones and whatever, word just got round that um, someone had died, and it, it just made it a real horrible horrible atmosphere and then people were saying oh it was Simmons you know United fans have got Simmons you know it just and you thought oh my god this is shocking and I think that some of the Palace players were or some of the fans were uh, totally against playing the game they were saying it should be called off um, but they did play the game and it was um, yeah it was 2-2 wasn't it and I think Keane gets sent off uh, in the replay Oh, that was a re- yeah. yeah. I, can, I, I remember. I remember being at the game. I remember watching the Everton uh, Tottenham game in the pub beforehand, and then I remember going into the ground and it being like a really horrible, hostile atmosphere. And then the news that this poor lad had been killed. Um, and then I remember there was a bit of a who going into the semi-final. A lot of Palace fans boycotted it as a you know, you know as a, well as a mark of respect and and protest. They said, "Oh, the, the game shouldn't have gone ahead," and all this. And uh, if you watch the highlights of the replay. Palace end was was almost half empty, and at the time, I think a few people cruelly said, "Oh, they couldn't fill out their allocation." But I think, having read up on it, they actually it was like a sort of almost a, a protest vote um, because of what had happened uh, in that that sort of skirmish before the game. But um, yeah, typical United back then, really, they sort of made hard work of themselves for themselves, and then got through in the replay. So yeah, it's a dramatic day. Um, to say the least, really. Mm. Armstrong, uh, Chris Armstrong and Ian Dowie on the score sheet for Crystal Palace. Then the replay, uh, 2-0 win, Bruce, and then Palace to the Grinsley. All defenders scored in, across those two games. What's really yeah, because Irwin scored a free kick, I think. Yeah, beautiful free game, kick, yeah. actually. Yeah. And yeah. What's, what's really interesting, I've just noticed here, is that the, the attendance for the first game, 38,256. For the replay, I know it's an evening game, so it's always a little lower, but 17,000. Well, that's that's going back to what I said. I, Like I said, I, it's one of those stories I've... I've don't be careful what I say about it, but it's one of those. I know a lot of Palace fans are very sort of upset that it was never really mentioned that this guy was killed and mm. what happened, and no charges were pressed, and it was all just sort of hush hush. And I think a lot of them said, "Well, we're not, we're just not going to go to the to the replay." And it's funny because it didn't really make the headlines at the time. I mean, now if the semi final got seventeen thousand. People would ask why. Yeah, and and I don't I just don't really remember anyone talking about it. Mm. I assume. I mean, you think seventeen thousand? I mean, that, that's probably all. That's probably the majority of that is United. Yeah, I would have thought so. So, I mean, that's Palace must have probably only taken three or four thousand to that semi. So, huge, a huge statement, really, isn't it? Mm, It is. Uh, So that was uh, nineteen ninety-five. We're now uh, going to nineteen ninety-seven, and I give you. Here we go. I give you the floor for some for Joel to talk about TM, the greatest game that he's ever seen. We have talked about it only before, but there's always reason to go back. 13th of April, 1997, Chesterfield 3, Middlesbrough 3. Joel, take the floor. I mean, I've, I've rewatched this game, and every time I rewatch it, I forget how good of a game it was. It's such good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and I always have to put out my disclaimer straight away, that Chesterfield were absolutely robbed. <laughs> they were. Absolute, it's an absolute disgrace what happened. I think David Ellery, didn't he still say, like, for years and years and years later, that he got every single decision in that game right? Well, I mean, I think the two the two key decisions, uh, I think uh, the goal, obviously, for them, that is a good sort of nine feet over the line, 
uh, and then it goes straight down the other end and uh, Hignett gets brought down just outside the box and it's um, a penalty. <laughs> oh, blimey. It was wild. I mean, we, Borough were in control until Kinder got himself stupidly sent off really early, about 30-something minutes. You know, it was really daft early. Um, but it was just, it's one of them that's that's got everything, 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 I think. Um, goals, sending offs, uh, dodgy refereeing decisions, a last-minute goal, dodgy penalties, Juninho falling flat on his face. Yes. My my favourite moment, yeah. I, I I could yeah, and young Sean Dyche as well on it as well. Yeah, well, this is why this is why people think that Sean Dyche hates Middlesbrough because of this game. Um, I'm sure he doesn't hold yeah. that much of a grudge. <laughs> I've never heard that accused of him. This is one of the things that they keep saying. I mean, Janino had one of his best games. I think um, it was. It, I mean, he got man of the match as well, Janino. It was absolutely brilliantly nuts i mean they tried to stick him they tried to stick a lad on him i think it was mark jules to try to uh to mark Juninho like to sort of copy the job that uh Pontius Camark had done the week before in the league cup final you got to remember that we played that league cup final the week before and emil heskey had scored three minutes from time then we go to this game and uh you know they score again in the last minute and we were really bad at that sort of thing at, the, at that point um but yeah what a what a game i think it's got the Fester goal, I think. Uh, yeah. It was just... Go and watch the highlights. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's well worth a watch. It is, it, it's a stunning game of football. And the, the, the equaliser from Jamie Hewitt, who only play, you know, went on and played for Chesterfield for 257 times. Um, you know, it must be his claim to fame, really, when he dines out on that now, now retired. But yeah, it's an absolutely... Just it's just one of those end to end games of football. With two, uh, you know, they went, you went, to, they went two went up. There was two two, then it was three two, and then equalised in the last minute. Classic, classic semi. One of the, you know, you don't get semi finals like that. Old Trafford looping uh, header over Ben Roberts. Just, just one minute after I'd said, which pub are we going to celebrate in <laughs> when we get home? Then how drunk were you at that point? They still hold it against me. Right. Oh, for you, you cursing it. it was you, you, you jinxed? Yeah, it yeah, my there. fault. Yeah. Yeah, but you got a replay. Why was the replay not Old Trafford? Was that just what they did? I, th- I know they often I did that. I think what happened was, I mean, that because they played at Hillsborough, which yeah. was only, I think, 12 miles from Chesterfield. And there was a lot of hoo-ha about it. I, that was the game. I didn't go to the replay. It was the only game that year in the, in both of those cup runs that I didn't go to because we'd simply, everybody had run out of money. And and I think I, I don't think the figures were too much for it. I think there might have been only sort of 30,000 there. Which we'd been taking sort of twenty five everywhere we went, you know what I mean, by ourselves. But I think everybody knew it would be a foregone conclusion that we would just dance the replay, and and if you were going to take a gamble of missing one of them, it, it was that. But it wasn't a, a massively attended game. Uh, but I think still thirty thousand at Hillsborough. Uh, yeah, but obviously we we also we went to Hillsborough later that week to uh, go and lose the League Cup final replay, which was. Marvellous. Mm. Beck, Ravinelli and Emerson getting the goals mm-hmm. in the replay. Which actually, yeah, I mean, it was a walk in the park, that one, really. Yeah, really. It I think it, really, it was, a, it was a very... I think I think Emerson... Did, did Beck score in about 10 minutes or something? 12, 12, minutes. 12 minutes. Yeah, 12 minutes. But mm-hmm. yeah, 
yeah. Well, I, well, I was happened with Oldham as well. I think once you have that chance, the replays normally you think you know a foregone conclusion. It's usually that first game if you've got the chance, you need to take it. But then again, that's what happened here um, in the other semi final, which were played earlier that day on the thirteenth of April, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, a really comfortable victory for Chelsea against Wimbledon. Uh, two goals from Mark Hughes and uh, a special one from Gianfranco Zola. I don't think we really need to to dwell on that. That was played at Highbury. Um, again, not not using Wembley for for this year. Um, Nineteen ninety nine, then, and and again, I'm, oh, this is obviously remembered for a, a very memorable game. Not for the first one, Matthew. Uh, the nil nil between Arsenal and Man United is one that nobody remembers from this semi final. <laughs> Yet the replay uh, four days later on the fourteenth of April, um, I believe we've we must have talked about it on here. We must have talked about it on the treble season. The gigs again up there with the Chesterfield Middlesbrough games of the of the decade, isn't it? It's one of those: the gigs goal, the Burkamp miss, Beckham. Um, I'm sure you've talked about it on here before, but. That's just a little bit re- rewind on the, on that game. What, what are you take home from that? Um, a great pitch invasion, oh. as always. As, as always at Villa Park, there was always a great pitch invasion at the uh, end of the game, which you, you just don't don't see enough of. But um, no, it was it was a cracking game, wasn't it? It was just it was breathless just watching it. It was one of those games where you just thought. I mean, when that penalty, when Arsenal got that penalty, you, you remember the the look on them. Phil Neville's face when he sort of rolls over and just looks down at the ground and you know he's thinking I can't believe I've just I've just blown this basically by giving away that penalty and then as soon as Schmeichel makes that save you just think hang on a minute something's going to happen here and uh, and it did but and it, it's funny because it's obviously looked upon as the treble as part of the treble winning season but I don't think anyone really thought anything about the treble until probably the uh, after beating Newcastle in the FA Cup final, it didn't seem to be on anyone's lips. Like, if you think about this season, everyone was talking about City winning the quadruple about Christmas, and I'm thinking it's just far too early. And you compare yeah. that to United in '99, I don't think anyone really thought it could happen until they obviously clinched the league on the last game of the season and then had the the two cup finals. So going into this, it probably wasn't wasn't muttered. But what a what a great game! Keane was sent off, wasn't he? I remember yeah. him running down the tunnel shouting at Wenger I think it was or somebody and uh, and then the uh, the classic gigs goal mm. which you know is a good enough goal to win any game and a celebration to match yeah and uh, as as everyone ran on the pitch and mobbed him and he, he had his shirt flying above his head and it just just a great great semi-final I mean again, like we said people probably cursed United for those kind of nights and I I understand that totally I used to feel it with Liverpool a decade before but you can't you, you can't knock them for the to the drama that they um, that they they put on show for people so uh, it was one of those you know you either hated them and wanted them to lose or you wanted them to win so nights like that were just just perfect for it weren't they yeah and, and what I think makes it more perfect as well it was two absolute heavyweights at the top of their game this is like seeing, yeah. this is like Federer and Nadal of that era wasn't it they were at the yeah. they were two teams fighting out for the title every season two managers that hated each other uh, you know at least competitively you know I'm sure that in later years we've learned they've had respect but at the time very bitter in, in, in the press conferences yeah. and stuff well, there was there was history where there wasn't. It? You don't really at the minute, and I don't, I don't want to you know go out of the nineties too much. But if you if you think at the minute now, there's not people are trying to build up this city Liverpool thing because it's all two of the best sides. But there's no real history there or hatred, and there's no real, I suppose, United City. But even among the players, there's not that sort of d- dislike that there was in the, that United Arsenal rivalry. You got the feeling that both sets of players really didn't like each other. Mm. The managers didn't like each other. So there was a every time they met, which they inevitably did, there was a there was a kickoff. Whereas 
nowadays in football you don't seem to get those kind of dynasties and those kind of rivalries that you know the, the people will obviously when you've got a, something like a derby there'll be a passion but it, it even with United City at the weekend you look at it and you think well that City team are basically there's no one there local a lot of the United players wouldn't really care as much as some people would so it's not it's, I think that Arsenal United battle was just uh, it was just made for it was, that era was perfect for it, wasn't it? Because it, it did last a good, well, five, six seasons. Yeah, probably. it went into the next decade, didn't it? For sure. So yeah, that, they, were, they were two fantastic. Well, you think it, yeah, it went quite longer than that, because didn't it? it the, the, you think the Pizza Gate? Well, of course, yeah. Two, the market, that was yeah, two thousand four, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So you're looking, going on, going on, sort of, yeah, eight years maybe. Once uh, Wenger had got his feet under the table at Arsenal and, and moulded that team. Um, Joe, what, that gig's goal, where does, I know you're a big fan of Trevor Sinclair's goal, which warms the cockles of me, but where does the gig's goal rate for you in, in that decade? Oh, everybody knows it's right up there. I mean, that's just, it, it's boys own, uh, not boys own, boys own, uh, you know, ball, ball attached to his boot, isn't it? I mean, even now, when I watched it again today, and I was just like, how does he do it? How does he do it? And, and just, and the utter joy when he wheels away in celebration, and that's the proper word for it. He does wheel away, yeah. spinning his shirt round and round and round. I mean, it's just... He's you, you chest. Uh, question for you both. Somebody once said to me that they blamed Seaman for that. Now, do you think there's any can be any attachment uh, on the keeper? I think he surprises I think him. So. I think he does surprise him because I don't think he thinks he's going to go. He goes near post, doesn't he? Um, I actually didn't watch it today, but I've seen that goal so many times. And I think he thinks he's probably going to try and smash it top corner, being Giggs. I think I've seen Giggs do that a few times. So I, I think it surprised him more than it was a mistake. So he may have been slightly flat-footed. But I just I, it's one of those goals, like Joel says, he was, goes on this mazy run and you just kind of get a feeling that it's going to go in. Whatever type of shot he hits, it's going to just take it past David Seaman so I, I wouldn't blame Seaman too much for that I know he was yeah. slightly on the wane at that point although you look at his save in the next decade in that semi-final against Sheffield United you, you could argue that he wasn't but no I, I don't think so I wouldn't go with that no um, I, I don't think so I think he just hit it so hard and so yeah. true past him you can't yeah you can't I think you can't it, it's it's an absolute moment of magic I mean we yeah. were here 20 years later nearly talking about it, it, it no I mean it, why, why can't you blame one of the defenders that he skipped round you know the yeah. way he got the ball on the halfway line you know you can't legislate for stuff like that I don't think it's you, you've just got to it's just one of those magical sporting moments that happens and that's it we should be celebrating the genius of the player, and not any alleged potential faults of anybody. Well, I suppose the, I suppose the biggest fault was was it Vieira that he gave, gave him the, the ball, ball away? Yeah, basically he, on the he, halfway uh, line. He, yeah, he basically just gave it straight to him, didn't he? But I suppose even there, he probably thought, well, yeah, we'll get this back. You no. can't have imagined what was going to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, of course not. Sure, he still has nightmares about it now. Though. Oh, he's just happy living a life in New York City at the moment, isn't he? So. Yeah. Um, in the, uh, in the other semi-final of that weekend, again on the 11th of April 1999, Newcastle beat Tottenham with two goals from uh, Alan Shearer. Again, Tottenham didn't quite make it to the final. and two, uh, One of them was a penalty um, from Alan Shearer, and it was both after extra time, but it wasn't a great game at Old Trafford, if I remember it. When, when was the last time Spurs won the FA Cup? Would that be 91? 91, yeah. Not, not in the yeah, Forest game, yeah. Because, I mean... So. For me, growing up, it was always the Tottenham with the FA Cup. So, and yeah. I think Spe- specialists. Yeah, they were the record holders, weren't they? they were with the them and Villa. Yeah. Yeah. And to say twenty-seven years since they've won the FA Cup. Uh, yeah. Maybe I mean maybe they're going to do it this year with uh, you know playing played the semi-final at their home ground. Yeah. Um, well, Pochettino's 
you know, publicly declared he doesn't give a crap. But yeah, it'd be good for them to actually get their name on that cup again because Arsenal now have overtaken them in the most wins, haven't they? They've got twelve, I think it is now, so they've mm. they've won the cup the most. Um, uh, so that kind of concludes our semi-final look back uh, across those. I think we've covered pretty much all of them. I think the only one we didn't really talk about at all in the last few weeks was ninety-eight. Um, which was on the uh, let's just fifth of April, so it was a cut, yeah last weekend with Christopher Ray famous goal at Wolf, against Wolves at Villa Park, and again Newcastle beating Sheffield United uh, with Alan Shearer's goal. So yeah, there's a couple of week we didn't cover last week, but yeah, they're all the semi-finals. Um, we are sticking May United um, for the next two points. I said there's a lot of May United this week, but they are critical points of the '90s. This one probably one of the most famous moments uh, of the decade, and probably in May United's history, because the turning point in that title race in 1992-93. It's the moment Fergie time was invented. Again, we've talked about this uh, in in brief stints in, in different podcasts as well. Um, so I'm going to go to Joel first because we've heard Matthew before. But this game against Sheffield United. 25 minutes into injury time, Steve Bruce. Um, it, it was the moment running on a pitch from Brian Kidd and, and Alex Ferguson. It's etched in everyone's memories, isn't it, from 92, 93? Is this the, that'll be the ball going in? Goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Famously on Danny Baker's own goals and gaffes. I don't think we've mentioned that for a little while. Oh, good old Danny Baker. And he just says, you know, as the ball flies in, yeah, there's Nigel Worthington. And he must be thinking, oh, that'll be the ball flying in because he's just stood. With his hand on the put, like he's actually leaning on yes. the goalpost. I am. I've got the right goal. Haven't I? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. totally. I'm going to Brian about. Robson, but bundles it almost flies into him, doesn't he, on the line? And, and he like looks at him. He, he helps him up. Yeah, like <laughs> he's just stood waiting for a bus. It's at a st- like, <laughs> like maybe he was just at, at the, you know a lapse of concentration or something. But his lack of response is pretty. Uh, <laughs> Pretty hilarious. It's almost like because it was in the ninety seventh minute. He he forgot. He said like right, my pay is up till ninety. It's like people like at five o'clock. I'm from that. I'm not getting paid. So at ninety minutes, yeah. I'm stopped getting paid. And he's like, yeah, all right then. Because I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, they were going for Europe at the time, but they, there wasn't something as mega as the title for them. And they, he was in and out of European places. But yeah, he does look. He's so nonchalant, isn't it? it it's, it's hilarious. But. Steve Bruce came up with the goods. Uh, Matthew, I mean, we've waxed lyrical about this for you before, but it's, uh, it is the game that changed the title race and for an argument to say it changed the fortune of Man United that whole decade, isn't it? It did. I mean, again, a little bit of context. Um, I think United were a point back. You've got to remember how good Villa were this season. Yeah, and I so think, unlucky. I think, I think Villa were, I think they were either level or Villa were, a point or two I ahead of United going into this. they were a point above. You, May United had six points from five games in March. So you were going into this yeah. game a proper wretched run. Yeah, again, another spread. Had Cantona been banned or something at this point? No, this was, no, he was, uh, that was a couple of seasons. Well, he might have got a ban. He hadn't got a nine-month ban. That's yeah. for sure. But he, he might have had a suspension. But um, yeah. He, yeah, so Villa were top of the league. Um, and bear in mind, 12 months before, United had had that epic collapse against Leeds and lost the league and everyone just thought well that's it they're never going to win it they're just never going to win it so, so to see this happen again and um, do you remember Sheffield Wednesday took the lead but midway through the first half that famous United fan John Sheridan scored a penalty after Paul Ince committed a clumsy tackle so United go 1-0 down at home uh, Villa have got I think they got Coventry that day at home yeah, at the top did, of my yeah. head so you're just thinking well this is going to be a you know United lose Villa win and it's a four point you know that's league over and I remember when that penalty went in that day the ground you could just hear a pin drop there was just that absolute dejection that 
they've done it again. They've blown the league again. You can't believe it. It was that sort of spring weather where you where the league really starts. You can just see yeah the turning point of the season where teams win and, and lose leagues, and we just thought we've lost it. And um, another bit of context: the the linesman actually pulled a calf muscle that day, and uh, they had to get a an official out of the crowd or a fourth official had to replace the linesman and then the ref had to replace it was like they had to do a double switch for the um officials so that's why there were seven minutes of injury time people seem to forget that but um but uh still got the go- excuses going haven't you well it was <laughs> they hated there with them. it annoys me because it annoyed me because you were there that day and the, the linesman pulled up and then they had to get because he didn't have fourth officials then. You had like someone on the yeah. bench that might, maybe took notes down, but they weren't as prominent as they are now. So they had to get this guy out of the stands or out of, yeah, out of his tr- tracksuit. He had to change. He he took over the linesman job, or, or the ref took over the linesman, and then so the, there was like a reserve line, a referee came on. So it took a it was a real old hoo ha. And of course, at the time, he thought this, you know, what's going on here? It's a good good few minutes used up here. So there was there were grounds for those seven minutes. As though, even though no one really remembers it at the time, but I don't think anyone there that day would have expected that. And I remember when the equaliser went in, just thinking, "Right, that's it. We got out of jail here." I don't really remember following the Villa score until after the game, but um, the equaliser went in, and you just thought, "Well, that's it. It's, at least it's not a defeat. You know, we're still in this. We might still be two points behind or whatever." And then, obviously, the third goal went in, and my God! And then within seconds of the final whistle again no mobiles but someone had a radio and said oh Villa have uh, drawn with Coventry so it was like a double it was like a, a, a swing you know so they had dropped points United had gained points and it put United on the driving seat for that the rest of that season so I, and I think United won every game they had to but I think they had like seven games left after that and I think I'm pretty sure they won every game uh, for the rest of that season which they had to do because everyone thinks oh it, it won United the league but I mean they could have easily I think they had Coventry away the following game, so they could have that could have been points dropped. They had to, still had to go to Palace away. They had Chelsea at home. There was still quite a few games left. So uh, in hindsight, everyone says, "Oh, that was the moment they won the league." But on paper, it wasn't. There was a lot, a lot of football to be played. But what it did do was put it in United's hands, which it hadn't been up until then. And uh, so a massive swing, and and it, it kind of changed United's mentality. I think because before that goal that was 93 they weren't really known for these late goals I mean now everyone goes oh yeah United oh yeah they always score late goals but before that they really didn't have any kind of pedigree for doing it but then that happened and it was almost like they just thought well if it happened last week we can do it again this week and so on and so on you know for another confidence another... breeds confidence man yeah yeah and, and, and you know people always go oh you're jammy and whatever but you're not jammy if you're scoring late goals you're not jammy are you you it's that, great teams. Great teams have always scored late goals. Liverpool did it in the eighties regularly. I'm sure Arsenal did it a lot when they were dominating City. Manchester City, we all know a very famous late goal. Yeah, keep it nineties. <laughs> <laughs> good day that. It was a good day. I let you have that one. It was a good day. But I think yeah. it's that, it's that determination, isn't it? That's what you know. Fergie and then the likes of Douglas and, and then performing in, in the Liverpool era. It was that determination to never give in that sets the team yeah up, up, and I, I think United I think United I mean I remember we had that I did the first well, the, the season reviews you know 91-92 and I remember saying then that United team even though they nearly won the league and probably should have won the league they just didn't look like they had the confidence that they had 12 months later that that 12 months on from blowing the league to this season it, it was like they'd grown and they'd, they'd obviously got a few more players in Cantona had come in but Schmeichel had, had 
had got better and you just started to see them win games that the previous season they wouldn't have done. I mean, the amount of draws the previous season they went to Luton and drew, went to QPR and drew and got beat by QPR at home and all these games that they just folded. What, what, game, was, what game was that you're talking about? We got, you got that, uh, Ashley's favourite game. Is, yeah. is, it on the, is that not on the bingo card? Bloody well should be. I should mention it every yeah. day, every day of my life. <laughs> Good old Dennis it's, Bailey. It's like United grew up and, and, and from that, those two headers, or yeah, those two late goals, it was almost as though it, they just said, hang on a minute, we can do this. And, and like I said, sure enough, it wasn't easy after that. I remember many a squeaky bum time, that running, and eventually winning it because Villa lost to Oldham didn't they at home on that yeah. Super Sunday game uh, but right up until then it was it was it was to and froing so um, there was a lot of football to be played but it just I think it gave them that sort of confidence that then they took on for at least another at least another five or six seasons of, of of getting out of jail and scoring late goals and pissing everybody off basically <laughs> well our final point of the evening is when uh, they they didn't get out of jail it's it's slightly uh, against the, the the grain of what we've been talking about but 13th of april 1997 southampton three manchester united one i mean the saints all had a little bit of a hoodoo over may united in the sort of latter part of this decade i remember the 6-3 and then t- uh, the goal at old trafford the masoto ab kind of let through but this game is you know famously remembered for the kit change at half-time. Um, one of the most bizarre excuses we've ever seen from a manager who believed these players couldn't see each other in that famous charcoal grey kit. Um, Joel, to this day, uh, a clever ruse, a load of crap. What, where do you stand on this excuse? What I'm just thinking about, you know, is Manchester United on a big away trip changing the kit. And I'm just wondering, you know, the kit man from the video. <laughs> <laughs> is he still there? Yeah. Norman Davis. Yeah. yeah. Was he still there then? Yeah, yeah, he would have been there. He, he was so there right up there. So, so now, right. as well as taking the studs and the long studs <laughs> and the little studs and the white pants and the other things, now he's taking two sets of kits as well in another box. Oh, that's good. Tell everybody out to pack a bag. Yeah. Uh, God, doubled his workload, didn't he, old Norman? Oh, right. poor Norman. Yeah, but I mean, this is one of those fabled games, isn't it? Uh, they just mainly didn't turn up, did they? And it was blamed on this kit. They changed the halftime into the the Sheffield Wednesday looking kit. To be honest, the, no, the, the, tes- the Tesco bag. Kit yeah, the Tesco bag the kit. Yeah, it's, uh, I hated that kit. Yeah, it's not one of my favourite main kits actually. No, it's too much I going. Think, too much going on on it, isn't it? I think it's another bit of Ferguson kidology to protect his players. He knows they're not at the races that day. So what can he blame? I know, let's blame the kit. You know, but, they, but they must have taken... See, there was a bit of a conspiracy theory going around that you know they were trying to market two kits at the time because this was when United were ruthless when it came to bringing out kits. I mean, they had brought out about four kits a season, didn't they, back then? Mm. The, the heavenly were, days, yeah. And there were, people were saying, oh, is this just another way of like, you know, shit? Because you do have to wonder why they took this kit down to Southampton with them. Um, the blue one. Yeah, I mean, why why take a blue one and the grey one? But, you know, maybe that's, maybe well, that's well, we standard Norman procedure. I need to get, get an explanation. Yeah, I need to get Norman like, Davis on the, on well, the you'll podcast. Have a, you'll have a job. I think he died about oh. 10 years ago. Oh, <laughs> oh Norman. I feel bad slagging him off on that Yeah, one. it's gone to uh. the, the stud shop in the sky. Oh. <laughs> but, but talking of it, isn't there an on this day today that I saw Chelsea yes. play away at Coventry and they had to wear Coventry's away kit because they had obviously... Their kit man hadn't done his homework, and they turned up and they'd gone. Hang on a minute, you play in blue, we play in blue. But and Chelsea had to borrow uh, Coventry's red and black. Well, he, he'd, kit. A, he'd actually forgot the kit. 
He'd actually forgot, yeah, forgotten it. He'd yeah, forgot forgotten the home shirts. Yeah, that was um, on on our Twitter feed today at AK Nineties. You can see the likes of Zola, Mark Hughes, and, and David Lee of all people um, wearing that checkerboard kit. There's a great picture of Zola looking very sort of confused to why he's wearing this Coventry City kit. But yeah, they completely forgot the kit. It's another fabled kit story from the 90s um, but this yeah of course this one is I think you're right Joe I think it was a bit of kidology um, from Ferguson because uh, they won the second half though exactly well yeah rich. exactly I think well that's well, probably because they got an ear bashing or a hair dryer treatment from Fergie although the they, it's amazing it's amazing how many people mix this game up with the 6-3 they do they go, yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I'm, I'm out of times I've had to tell people I'm sorry to disappoint you but it wasn't that it wasn't the 6-3 although I cannot remember what kit were they wearing in the 6-3 that was the blue there was a blue, blue one, one. Was a blue one as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, why, that that's was, why people that get was confused. That, yeah, that was that week where they lost to Newcastle five. Of course, five yes. one, and then got yeah. beat six three in the same week, and then still won the league. Philip Albert. Yeah, it was first. Yeah. This game was first half goals from Kem Account, who follows us on Twitter, but it's yet to answer my DMs. Get into your DMs, Kem. Come on, get used to Twitter. Um, Neil Shipley, who's been on the show before, uh, and Matt Letitia in the first half, and then Ryan Giggs scored uh, in the 89th minute to make it Southampton three, Manchester United one in that famous game. Some great names on this Southampton team. Some proper 90s names: Francis Benali, Barry Venison, Simon Cholton. Jim Magilton. Neil Madison. Neil, Neil Madison, Madison yeah. yeah, ex-Barrow. Got that in for you. Dave Bassett in goal. All the, this was after he cut the pearls. You should get Mad you should get Maddo on. I think I've tweeted him, he's not he's not tweeted back. So. We, we, I spoke was, to... well, I've got made to BBC T's and he does the borough matches, so let me see where right. I can Send him a send your texty texts around and see what we can do. We've got Nigel Spink yeah. coming up uh, in a couple of episodes' time. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. And if anyone's confused to what Joe was going on about, um, the studs and the studs, go back in the archives and listen to our Inside Inside Manchester United podcast. That will make sense. And while you're doing it, after that, listen to our brand new full-length episode, which is on Corinthian figures and has gone down rather nicely, actually. It was a good look back at those old big head figures um, from the past and also some great stuff from Kevin Gallon on Ray Wilkins which was of course his sad passing last week um, I think we've done I think that's a lot of Man United stuff we've got through um, on this week in the 90s but you know all, all worth it all poignant to, to what had happened um, thank you gents as per usual um, we go to the, the end of the show and good news Joel you're out of Twitter jail I was I was only in Twitter jail for thirty six hours. Oh, they couldn't yeah, charge you. I should have been in for a week. I should have been just out of Twitter jail now. But no, I uh, I just I, I just acted like an arse really and stamped my feet and said, "But you want to spend money with you?" And uh, somehow they listened to it. I doubled down and asked for a tick, but that still hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you got to ask, didn't you? Yeah, you've got to. But ask. anyway, I'm I'm at Joel Baby Her. I picked up quite a lot of football people. Lately, so that's nice. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I bet they're enjoying Top of the Pops and your cat. Um, yeah, and, and WrestleMania. Well, and WrestleMania, well. yeah. People would have got that on my feed as well. Sorry about that for everyone who doesn't like it. Yeah, there was a lot of WrestleMania going on. Probably be a bit more tonight because I'm feeling a little bit of second wind. I wonder if Raw's going to draw me in. Probably not by the oh, time. What time is it? Is it one o'clock? Well, it's one o'clock. It's still an hour and a half away, so maybe not. Uh, no, probably not. Um, Matthew, you've not, you're never in Twitter jail. You're too nice for that. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, well, I'm, well, I might be if you go to my Twitter handle at Matthew J. Christ and see a video of me in a pub on <laughs> on Saturday with a pub entertainer singing Wonderwall by being pushed around in a wheelchair in a Liverpool pub. Do you know what I like? That's... I like you keeping it nineties in your karaokeness as well. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's good. I, it was a request, so it's it's on there now. It's on Twitter now, so you can uh, you can go and have a look, and then you'll realise what. Lullaby to see me off, want to sleep. 
then you'll realise why I'm feeling as rough as I am. And, and two things I, I forgot to pick up on earlier. Firstly, that Joel mentioned Boyzone. Thanks for that first Boyzone mention of the podcast. Bloody love a bit of Boyzone. And I actually forgot to play in that Daniel Amakachi clip. So I'll play that in at the end. Uh, Daniel Amakachi talking to us about that Everton semi-final. Um, but before that, it just remains me to say I've been Ash Rose. This has been AK90s or Alive and Kicking, wherever you want to call it. Follow us at AK90s on Twitter. And until next time, keep it 90s and listen to Daniel Amakachi. You're best remembered uh, for the FA Cup run, especially the semi-final when you scored uh, against Tottenham. Is that the highlight of your time at Edmonton? Uh, well, you know, it, I think it, it was a turning point, you know, of my uh, career there. You know, I went to, uh, you know, when I got to Everton, you know, uh, I thought I was fast and strong, but you know, when I got to the Premiership, I knew I had a lot of work to, you know, to do. You know, uh, but then, uh, you know, I kept working hard and believing in what I can do and, you know, the support of all my teammates, you know, especially, you know, uh, you know, the Watson, you know, the captain, you know, and, you know, he was, you know, he was, you know, really there and pushing it, you know, a few of them, you know, the sword and all that and, you know. Mm. And just keep pushing. But you know, I kept doing my thing on training and you know on on reserve games and you know I was on fire you know during that period. But you know I just have to keep uh, just sit back and wait for my uh, for my opportunity. And I think the opportunity came and but it didn't come. I think I I I created the opportunity for myself because you know uh, Paul Ryder was injured and you know. Uh, your role was keep insisting that you know the doctor should fix him up and go in you know for five more minutes, and you know the doctor just said you know it's done, it's done. But you know, we were playing short one, and I just got up and you know was warming up already. Then just walked to the you know the the front official and said, listen, well, you know it's a substitute. You know and it just it just happened because he should ask question where the paper and all that stuff, but you know he never did. And just read the number and I you know I just. Put my feet off over the line, and I saw Joe running towards the line. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, but you know, but I was already across the line, and we're done with the substitute. If I have to come out, then we're gonna end up playing with one more shot. And you know, sports were really putting pressure. We're two goals, two goals to one. You know, then, but they were really putting pressure. But as, as it turned out to be, in, you know, in the next ten minutes, I end up scoring two goals, and the, you know, Everton were in the final. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was it. You know. That was uh, was an experience. Mm. And then to play at Wembley and, and to be an FA Cup winner, that's got to be something that's also a big highlight for you. Oh, yeah. A first African player to win the FA Cup, definitely. You know, uh, you know when, when we growing growing up in Africa, you know, uh, I, back then, you know, the FA Cup was huge, you know. I think uh, it's a global, it was a global, uh, you know, cup game, you know, uh, sitting in front of TV and, it's not just sitting in front of TV, you know, you live in a neighborhood probably where only one or two homes have TV back then, you know, when I was growing up. And we always had find our way to, uh, you know, to go there and sit down in front of TV and watch. And for me now to be uh, to be at Wembley, you know, playing the FA Cup final that I watched as a, as a young child, you know, it's, it, it can't get better than that. And, you know, not just playing, but, you know, even beating the mighty Manchester United back mm-hmm. then, you know, to win the cup, you know, that was, that, that was a lot, you know, a lot stand, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate for, you know, a lot of great players, you know, players like Diego, you know, and, uh, and Pelé, that will tell you that, you know, 
what if they could fund it, you know, back the time they would have loved to play at Wembley, you know. So you sh- I think it's, it's that that's huge when when uh, such great, you know, a legend says such, and then you should like, uh, you know, give God the glory that you were opportune to be a uh, part of the old Wembley and enjoy the experience. I love the king.